0: story eleven of a mirror of Shalott by robert hugh benson this LibriVox recording is in the public domain story eleven father macclesfield's tale monsignor maxwell announced next day at dinner that he had already arranged for the evening's entertainment a priest whose acquaintance he had made on the palatine was leaving for england the next morning and it was our only chance therefore of hearing his story That he had a story had come to the canon's knowledge in the course of a conversation on the previous afternoon he told me the outline of it he said i think it very remarkable but i had a great deal of difficulty in persuading him to repeat it to the company this evening but he promised at last i trust gentlemen you do not think i have presumed in begging him to do so father macclesfield arrived at supper he was a little unimposing dry man with a hooked nose and grey hair he was rather silent at supper but there was no trace of shyness in his manner as he took his seat upstairs and without glancing round once began in an even and dispassionate voice i once knew a catholic girl that married an old protestant three times her own age i entreated her not to do so but it was useless and when the disillusionment came she used to write to me piteous letters telling me that her husband had in reality no religion at all he was a convinced infidel and scouted even the idea of the soul's immortality after two years of married life the old man died he was about sixty years old but very hale and hearty till the end well when he took to his bed the wife sent for me and i had half a dozen interviews with him but it was useless he told me plainly that he wanted to believe in fact he said that the thought of annihilation was intolerable to him if he had had a child he would not have hated death so much if his flesh and blood in any manner survived him he could have fancied that he had a sort of vicarious life left but as it was there was no kith or kin of his alive and he could not bear that father macclesfield sniffed cynically and folded his hands i may say that his deathbed was extremely unpleasant He was a coarse old fellow, with plenty of strength in him, and he used to make remarks about the churchyard, and, and in fact, the worms that used to send his poor child of a wife half-fainting out of the room. He had lived an immoral life, too, I gathered. Just at the last it was, well, disgusting. He had no consideration—God knows why she married him. The agony was a very long one he caught at the curtains round the bed, calling out, and all his words were about death and the dark. It seemed to me that he caught hold of the curtains as if to hold himself into this world, and at the very end he raised himself clean up in bed and stared horribly out of the window that was open just opposite. I must tell you that straight away beneath the window lay a long walk, between sheets of dead leaves, with laurels on either side, and the branches meeting overhead, so that it was very dark there even in summer, and at the end of the walk, away from the house, was the churchyard gate. Father Macclesfield paused and blew his nose. Then he went on, still without looking at us. Well, the old man died, and he was carried along this laurel path and buried.' his wife was in such a state that i simply dared not go away she was frightened to death and indeed the whole affair of her husband's dying was horrible but she would not leave the house she had a fancy that it would be cruel to him she used to go down twice a day to pray at the grave but she never went along the laurel walk she would go round by the garden and in at a lower gate and come back the same way or by the upper garden this went on for three or four days the man had died on a saturday and was buried on monday it was in july and he had died about eight o'clock i made up my mind to go on the saturday after the funeral my curate had managed along very well for a few days but i did not like to leave him for a second sunday then on the friday at lunch her sister had come down by the way and was still in the house on the friday the widow said something about never daring to sleep in the room where the old man had died i told her it was nonsense and so on but you must remember she was in a dreadful state of nerves and she persisted so i said i would sleep in the room myself i had no patience with such ideas then of course she said all sorts of things but i had my way and my things were moved in on friday evening i went to my new room about a quarter before eight to put on my cassock for dinner the room was very much as it had been rather dark because of the trees at the end of the walk outside there was the four-poster there with the damask curtains the table and chairs the cupboard where his clothes were kept and so on when i put my cassock on i went to the window to look out to right and left were the gardens with the sunlight just off them but still very bright and gay with the geraniums and exactly opposite was the laurel walk like a long green shady tunnel dividing the upper and lower lawns i could see straight down it to the churchyard gate which was about a hundred yards away i suppose there were limes overhead and laurels as i said on each side Well, I saw someone coming up the walk, but it seemed to me at first that he was drunk. He staggered several times as I watched. I suppose he would be fifty yards away, and once I saw him catch hold of one of the trees and cling against it as if he were afraid of falling. Then he left it and came on again slowly, going from side to side with his hands out. He seemed desperately keen to get to the house.' I could see his dress, and it astonished me that a man dressed so should be drunk, for he was quite plainly a gentleman. He wore a white top hat and a grey cutaway coat and grey trousers, and I could make out his white spats. Then it struck me he might be ill, and I looked harder than ever, wondering whether I ought to go down." When he was about twenty yards away, he lifted his face, and it struck me as very odd, but it seemed to me he was extraordinarily like the old man we had buried on Monday. But it was darkish where he was, and the next moment he dropped his face, threw up his hands, and fell flat on his back. Well, of course I was startled at that, and I leaned out of the window and called out something, He was moving his hands i could see as if he were in convulsions and i could hear the dry leaves rustling well then i turned and ran out and downstairs father macclesfield stopped a moment gentlemen he said abruptly when i got there there was not a sign of the old man i could see that the leaves had been disturbed but that was all there was an odd silence in the room as he paused but before any of us had time to speak, he went on. Of course, I did not say a word of what I had seen. We dined as usual. I smoked for an hour or so by myself after prayers, and then I went up to bed. I cannot say I was perfectly comfortable, for I was not, but neither was I frightened. When I got to my room, I lit all my candles, and then went to a big cupboard I had noticed, and pulled out some of the drawers. In the bottom of the third drawer I found a gray cutaway coat and grey trousers. I found several pairs of white spats in the top drawer, and a white hat on the shelf above. That is the first incident. "'Did you sleep there, father?' said a voice softly. "'I did,' said the priest. "'There was no reason why I should not. I did not fall asleep for two or three hours, but I was not disturbed in any way, and came to breakfast as usual.' well i thought about it all a bit and finally i sent a wire to my curate telling him i was detained i did not like to leave the house just then father macclesfield settled himself again in his chair and went on in the same dry uninterested voice on sunday we drove over to the catholic church six miles off and i said mass nothing more happened till the monday evening that evening i went to the window again about a quarter before eight as i had done both on the saturday and sunday everything was perfectly quiet till i heard the churchyard gate unlatch and i saw a man come through but i saw almost at once that it was not the same man i had seen before it looked to me like a keeper for he had a gun across his arm then i saw him hold the gate open an instant and a dog came through and began to trot up the path towards the house with his master following when the dog was about fifty yards away he stopped dead and pointed i saw the keeper throw his gun forward and come up softly and as he came the dog began to slink backwards i watched very closely clean forgetting why i was there and the next instant "'Something—it was too shadowy under the trees to see exactly what it was—but something about the size of a hare burst out of the laurels and made straight up the path, dodging from side to side, but coming like the wind. The beast could not have been more than twenty yards from me when the keeper fired, and the creature went over and over in the dry leaves, and lay struggling and screaming. It was horrible.' but what astonished me was that the dog did not come up. I heard the keeper snap out something, and then I saw the dog making off down the avenue in the direction of the churchyard as hard as he could go. The keeper was running now towards me, but the screaming of the hare, or of whatever it was, had stopped, and I was astonished to see the man come right up to where the beast was struggling and kicking, and then stop as if he was puzzled i leaned out of the window and called to him right in front of you man i said for god's sake kill the brute he looked up at me and then down again where is it sir he said I-, I can't see it anywhere and there lay the beast clear before him all the while not a yard away still kicking well i went out of the room and downstairs and out to the avenue the man was standing there still looking terribly puzzled but the hare was gone there was not a sign of it only the leaves were disturbed and the wet earth showed beneath the keeper said that it had been a great hare he could have sworn to it and that he had orders to kill all hares and rabbits in the garden enclosure then he looked rather odd did you see it plainly sir he asked i told him not very plainly but i thought it a hare too yes sir he said it was the hare sure enough but do you know sir i thought it to be a kind of silver-grey with white feet i never saw one like that before the odd thing was that not a dog would come near his own dog was gone but i fetched the yard dog a retriever out of his kennel in the kitchen yard and if ever i saw a frightened dog it was this one When we dragged him up at last, all whining and pulling back, he began to snap at us so fiercely that we let go, and he went back like the wind to his kennel. It was the same with the terrier. Well, the bell had gone, and I had to go in and explain why I was late, but I didn't say anything about the colour of the hair. That was the second incident. Father Macclesfield stopped again, smiling reminiscently to himself. I was very much impressed by his quiet air and composure. I think it helped his story a good deal. Again, before we had time to comment or question, he went on. The third incident was so slight that I should not have mentioned it, or thought anything about it, if it had not been for the others. But it seemed to me there was a kind of diminishing gradation of energy which explained. Well, now you shall hear. On the other nights of that week I was at my window again, but nothing happened till the Friday. I had arranged to go, for certain, the next day. The widow was much better, and more reasonable, and even talked of going abroad herself in the following week. On that Friday evening I dressed a little earlier, and went down to the avenue this time, instead of staying at my window at about twenty minutes to eight. It was rather a heavy depressing evening, without a breath of wind, and it was darker than it had been for some days. I walked slowly down the avenue to the gate and back again, and I suppose it was fancy, but I felt more uncomfortable than I had felt at all up to then. I was rather relieved to see the widow come out of the house and stand looking down the avenue. I came out myself then and went towards her she started rather when she saw me and then smiled i thought it was someone else she said father i've made up my mind to go i shall go to town tomorrow and start on monday my sister will come with me i congratulated her and then we turned again and began to walk back to the lime avenue she stopped at the entrance and seemed unwilling to come any further come down to the end i said and back again there will be time before dinner She said nothing, but came with me, and we went straight down to the gate and then turned to come back. I don't think either of us spoke a word. I was very uncomfortable indeed by now, and yet I had to go on. We were halfway back, I suppose, when I heard a sound like a gate rattling, and I whisked round in an instant, expecting to see someone at the gate, but there was no one. Then there came a rustling overhead in the leaves. It had been dead, still, before. Then, I don't know why, but I took my friend suddenly by the arm, and drew her to one side, out of the path, so that we stood on the right hand, not a foot from the laurels. She said nothing, and I said nothing, but I think we were both looking this way and that, as if we expected to see something. The breeze died, and then sprang up again, but it was only a breath. I could hear the living leaves rustling overhead and the dead leaves underfoot and it was blowing gently from the churchyard then i saw a thing that one often sees but i could not take my eyes off it nor could she it was a little column of leaves twisting and turning and dropping and picking up again in the wind coming slowly up the path It was a capricious sort of draught, for the little scurry of leaves went this way and that, to and fro across the path. It came up to us, and I could feel the breeze on my hands and face. One leaf struck me softly on the cheek, and I can only say that I shuddered as if it had been a toad. Then it passed on. "'You understand, gentlemen, it was pretty dark, but it seemed to me that the breeze died and the column of leaves—it was no more than a little twist of them—sank down at the end of the avenue. We stood there perfectly still for a moment or two, and when I turned she was staring straight at me, but neither of us said one word. We did not go up the avenue to the house. We pushed our way through the laurels and came back by the upper garden.' nothing else happened and the next morning we all went off by the 11 o'clock train that is all gentlemen end of story 11